0: So welcome to CS Consafo, Latinx Creators Radio, contando nuestra historia through the arts. Join us today for a conversation with Jake Prendez. He is a top Google search result Chicano artist in Seattle. He's a Mr. Don't Be self Conchas. He's Mr. Know My Life. He's Mr. Cultural Resilience. If you know what I'm talking about, check out his website and more. Uh, links are provided below. Join me and your co-host,
1: Miguel Gonzalez. Hola a todos. Yeah, yeah. Being bicultural, as many of us are, all of us are in a way, you know, what we're experiencing, our challenges, how we overcome them, how we interpret when people say, you know, you're not uh, Mexican enough, or you're not American enough. And we're always caught in the middle of being on that fine line. And and Jake, he, he, he sums it up really well. He, he puts together biculturalism in, into one beautiful piece of work and he'll tell you more about it. But yeah, it's, it's going to be great.
0: So listen in if you want to hear a story about hope and resilience through that which is uh, treading that a really fine line, such as his gallery is called Nepantla, uh, the arts, cultural arts center and gallery. Yeah, it's you're in for a really great conversation with Jake Remdes. Hope you enjoy.
1: Hey. Hey. Hey, how's it going?
0: Good. Thanks for joining us, Jake. Hey,
1: no, oh, all... Good to oh, see you. Good.
0: How are you gentlemen doing? Doing well, doing well. You too? Doing great. Doing good. Yeah. I'm excited,
2: man. I'm honored
0: as well. Oh, man. Thank you. All right. So welcome to with Latinx Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Saul Martinez, along with co-host Miguel Gonzalez. We're here with Jake Prendes. He is the top Google search result Chicano artist from Seattle. He is pop culture extraordinaire. And uh,
1: we're excited to have you on the show.
2: Hey, I'm excited to be here. And again, I'm honored to... Be on the show. Thank you for having me.
1: Welcome, man. It's great to meet you. We've talked before, social media, what have you. But it's great to actually see you and talk with you.
0: All right, excellent. So I guess I guess we should start with your interview. So so just to tell the audience, Jake this is our very first. He's our inaugural guest. We're taking off the training wheels and are just going to go for it. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Jake. How did you discover art?
2: Um. Yeah. So I mean, I've been like a lot of people, you know, I've been drawing all my life. Um, you know, I was one of those kids. you um, we all were fortunate enough to have those like Disney and like Dr. Seuss books that you get in the mail every month. My parents did that. And so I get like new couple books every month. And, um, and I just bring out stacks of books and just be in the living room going through them. And my parents were like, "Oh, Miko's gonna be a great reader. look, he's always with books." It's like, "No, Miko hates to read, but uh, <laughs> Miko loves art And so I just loved the pictures and I was always going through and, um you know my dad's album covers. I loved just looking at all the album covers and things like that and I think that was just kind of the first exposure to art um and then you know became that kid that was always drawing in class and actually getting in trouble for drawing in class and you know not paying attention and just doodling on his homework and all that stuff yeah
0: and, yeah yeah. Uh, I can totally relate I, I got in trouble for drawing on the back side of my quiz once when I was in like, <laughs> fourth grade and that was like the last time I drew on anything that of that caliber I still drew on the, the homework or the regular worksheets and stuff but, um, yeah, I
2: actually had a parent like teacher meeting because like in second grade because I was like I <laughs> uh, drawing on my all my homework and stuff, and i remember, and I specifically remember because I drew this like rocket ship in the middle of my like math paper or whatever, and it had an M on it for math, and I just remember thinking like, what are you upset about like there's an m on that rocket for math, like I'm honoring math
1: like you know you know how much <laughs> math it took to get that <laughs> rocket off the ground It took math. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you mentioned the album cover art because that's something I feel is very underrated. And I love the classic 60s Chicano album cover art from all the different bands that, that I've experienced growing up through my parents and my siblings. Yeah. I'm the youngest of five, so they're they're a, a bit older than I am. <laughs> but yeah, no, that art, I, I love it. I'm glad you mentioned that, man. yeah,
0: did, did you ever read lowrider art? Oh,
2: yeah, man. I like you. I mean, in my art, when I was in high school... Like, that was my art. That's what I was drawing. I was drawing the pachucos and pachucas and lowriders and things like that. And and actually, so when I got to high school, and I mean, so I struggled in school. Like, I, I, I had undiagnosed dyslexia, so art was, like, the only thing I was good at. Um, and by the time I got to high school and I'm actually taking art class and thinking, like, oh, here's where I'm going to be appreciated or here's where you know for me like i'm finally excited i'm taking art something i'm good at and the teacher still hated me and it was, you know because i was drawing that type of stuff and they i remember being told um you know that my art was too ethnic too gangster because i was drawing a little and so finally like it felt like oh you know i'm gonna be praised for something you know because i i never was in school and then it was almost the opposite. And it was just like, wow, that was my one kind of safe space. And yeah.
0: Bullshit. <laughs> hey, yeah. Uh, I got in trouble for wearing an Emiliano Zapata shirt once. And I'm like, what? Like, out of everybody? I mean, he's a hero, you know? So, yeah, yeah. We, I think we can all relate in that sense. So, so piggybacking on that question, I want to ask, uh, for me, it's one of the biggest questions. What, what was that piece of art that really spoke to you first like it was the uh, the one time when you're like oh damn like art can be very emotive and it can mm-hmm. touch people
2: you talking about my my own personal oh, art or yes. just artwork i've seen
0: no it's something that you've seen
2: okay um you know what i think around you know i, I really there was in when i was in middle school the like the it, kind of skateboard art really blew up and like if you were in the mall like you're old like me members like stores like Mr. Rags and things like that they and they would have like all these like graphic t-shirts and they were uh, kind of uh, they were kind of skater shirts but you know it was that mixture of skater stuff and with like graffiti art and all that and I think that was one of the first times art wasn't kind of museum art really and that wasn't kind of it there was this art that you know I think spoke to me a little more versus something say that you know it's beautiful like a Van Gogh or something but you know this kind of you know graph t-shirt you know this kind of tagging art and stuff like that that was like oh wait I, I I that means something to me there's some semblance in that and um so yeah, I think that was kind of the first time, and I'm probably middle school at that age, that I started thinking like, oh, there's this kind of other art form that speaks to me a little more. And then I think, um, I, think I was around ninth grade that I kind of started really getting into kind of the Chicano movement and things like that and the identity and uh, and seeing kind of Chicano art, you know, for the first time. And it's like, oh, that's that's actually people – like me you know that right and right. uh and it meant something and like I, I seen some like kind of art that was like farm worker you know that was kind of about like ufw kind of propaganda art or um just like had kind of and, and thinking like oh like that's my grandparents like mm-hmm. that is i see that you know that's telling the story i'm familiar with
1: i love it i love it yeah that's that's good i you, you mentioned um, how someone had told you once your art was too gangster or the art that you liked was too gangster. Yeah. How, how did you respond to that? What, well, this did you that know, happen? Explain that. Know, a little. So th-
2: I mean, this happened when I was like high school age. So I was still really young and I didn't have kind of the voice I have now. Right. And so when s- you're in a dynamic like that, where Someone is old. You're you're told that you know authority is age and follow authority kind of a thing. You kind of accept what they say. I think a little more, you know. And, and I think because of these experiences, I began to to challenge those stories that you know were counter to my own. But at the time, it was just like, oh, okay. I didn't realize it was gangster sorry, you know, and yeah, uh, and not knowing, like feeling like. Attack, but not knowing how to react to it, uh, not having the words to fight it. Mm-hmm. So you know, at that time, I, I I did not defend myself. It was in college that I was told my art was too ethnic, mm-hmm. and that was I was going in. So I was going to double major art and ethnic studies, but uh, the irony. And I, I took I took like an intro graphic design course. I did it, basically the project was they assign you a letter, you have to come up with a logo for something that, you know, starts with that letter, right? And I got T and I got the idea to do piedra, and I made the T look kind of like Mexico. And that's when the, you know, we got our feedback and the teacher told me that it was too ethnic and that, you know, it wasn't mainstream enough and to be a graphic designer, you know, it has to be mainstream, you know, all that. And that's actually probably, and I uh, when I dropped out of art, I just like, oh, well, then art's not for me. And um, dropped the program, just did ethnic studies. And then didn't create art for about 10 years. So from the time I was 19, 20, I didn't create art until I was about 30. So there's this 10-year gap because I listened to those negative people. I call them the soul crushers because I listened to those people that told me my art was too ethnic, it was too gangster, you can't make money with art, and at the time, you know, I had two kids, so by the time I was 22, right, so my my son was born right when I turned 20, like a week before, um, and then my daughter was born, so it was more than, like, okay, like, I have these two kids that now depend on me, I can't play art game anymore, I have to get a real job, and you know, kind of, you know, regurgitating Ooh. what I had been told. Um, so, yeah, you know, it it, it was um, frustrating.
1: Yeah, I, I get what you're coming from, and and in a way, at that age, being opposed with with what you you're personally expressing and what you're feeling and what you're putting down on paper to see and share with people, you know, I I can get where you could easily get discouraged in that because we're also raised typically with that respect your elders. Yeah. You know, and and we deal with a lot of that growing up and within our, our families, our households, it's such a common thing within our culture. Yeah. That, you know, I can, I can see where you'd come into that and think, Oh, well, you know, they, they know better. I have to respect my elders, but you know, that's where, you know, I have, I have thoughts on that as to, what type of foundation are we going to leave for a younger generation of artists? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons why I do so much work with mm-hmm. youth is because I don't want them to have to go through what I went through. And, right. you know, and I, I try to make a positive out of it and saying, okay, <clears throat> I'm a strong person. You know, I took that bullet so that others don't have to take it. <clears throat> Maybe mm-hmm. I have... Uh, I do a lot of work with youth seeing that how important it is for like expression and dealing with angst and you know a lot of these things that youth are dealing with how important having this outlet of art really is Uh, and even doing a lot of work with you know adults because you know I I heard uh, a friend of mine in in a documentary she said Uh, you know, I was this at-risk youth and then I turned 18 and then I was just an at-risk adult, you know? And that's true. There's not this like magic thing that happens that, you know, know, might be an at-risk youth turn 18, you're an adult and everything's fine. We still have trauma. We still have these issues we're dealing with and art helps Mm -hmm. all ages, right? And so, you know, I do a lot of work with art and community, you know, because of my experiences. So, you know, whether they were... Bad, you know. I'm trying to turn them into a positive.
0: And is that <laughs> happening at the Pantla Gallery? And can you tell us about that a little bit?
2: Yeah. So I own the Pantla Cultural Arts Gallery. Uh, we opened up last February, so we just celebrated our one-year anniversary right before the uh, pandemic. And um, but you know, it had gone. It's going amazing. Um, every month we have a new exhibition focused on marginalized communities. Um, and then the other side of the wall, we have our gift shop with, um, you know, apparel and jewelry and all this really cool stuff—bandurra pillows and, uh, you know, Selena T-shirts and things you're not gonna find, especially in Seattle, you're not gonna find anywhere else. Um, and then <clears throat> the third part is a community space. So we have open mic nights. We have we run a youth arts program called the Proximaherraciom Youth Artist Residency, and that meets every other Monday Um, and we bring in a guest speaker that works with the youth and teaches them a new sustainable art skill. So, uh, you know, like we've had folklorical dancers, we've had muralists, we've had photographers and, you know, someone that came in and come out make, you know, clay jewelry, like earrings and things, Um, but just cultural bears that teach them, you know, sustainable skills. Um, And then we just do about two art workshops a month in our space. Um, that are free and accessible to community, so we've gotten grants where we can give artists a stipend for leading these workshops, but we can also pay for the supplies so that way that the workshop is completely free for community, so they don't have to pay a fee to get the workshop they don't have to buy supplies or anything like that that's all provided um, for them so that's gone amazing, and you know we're getting amazing community support, so when we were open um, you know, we were having about like 50 people show up for each session, you know, and, you know, kind of have room for like 35. Oh, uh, felicidades, man. That's uh, amazing. Wow. Like doing waves and, you know, there's a coffee shop next door. We're like, all right, you got to see at the table. Congratulations. The rest of you go grab a coffee, come back <laughs> in a half hour and then we'll do the second wave, you know, um, mm-hmm. so it. but it, it, you know, it's going great. And and we've received grants as well that, um, you know, to kind of pay the bills while, the whole pandemic and it's going on. So as soon as we get the kind of green light to reopen, Nepantla is going to be back, you know, so uh, that's the good news. We're not going nowhere.
0: For anyone wondering about Nepantla and what they do there, we'll provide a link so people can click. Uh, on it and check it out firsthand um, and to pair with that question I want to ask uh, for those of you who do not know Jake Brendis, who is Jake Brendis? like let's let's inform the audience what kind of art you do how do you define it
2: yeah so um, I, I, I call myself a Chicano artist I don't shy away for that I'm unapologetic about that um, so my <clears throat> when people tell me, ask me like to describe my art I, I you know, tell people it's my life story on canvas it's, it's like taking your you know pop cultural references your you know cultura your um you know your your loves and your heartbreaks and you know all of that stuff and just kind of putting it in a blender and then just kind of pouring that out on canvas um so you know you know all those influences whether they were you know, comic books or, um, you know, just kind of humor, um, you know, all of you know, the culture it's all mixed together, um, you know, on the canvas. And so it, it you know, I, I, it's those people that kind of are, I think, bicultural, that really kind of recognize this art because it's taking worlds like that. A lot of times are kind of separate. Right. And right. Kind of merge this, you know, where say like, you know, you use like a Venn diagram, you know, you have Star Wars, right? And then you have Chicano culture, and then in kind of the middle of that Venn diagram is, you know, something some
0: Jake Prender- one solo. <laughs> yeah.
2: Asturito. Yeah, you know, like yeah. Aleppo, Calrissian. you know those there's yeah. that's overlapping space right of these and then i think that those are people that get it that are kind of have that residual mexican chicano culture um but they also maybe grew up you know kind of with american pop culture and watching you know english television and so they're you know they're old like me they get like a different strokes reference you know and uh,
1: reference you know yeah, it was like watching Batman, like, from the, the 60s and realize he had chola eyebrows, you know, yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Now, the name of the gallery, Napantla Cultural Arts, tell us about that, that word and the meaning. Kind of where did you come from the name, or where did you create the name, Napantla Cultural Arts?
2: Yeah, so Napantla is an Aztec word. Um, I first came across when, in college, uh, uh, reading Borderlands by Gloria Anzaldua. And um, she, Nabanda is the space in between. So it's through kind of colonization or different forms of, you know, oppression that there's this alternative space that you know folks can exist in. Um, so for example, being bicultural, which you talked about, right? I'm not Mexican enough for Mexico. I'm not American enough for America. I'm in this Nabanda state. Um, for others, it might be um, sexuality norms, right? I'm, I don't feel hetero. I don't feel homosexual. I'm kind of in this nabantla state. I'm, I'm fluent. I'm, I'm both. Or it might be kind of uh, language. It can be uh, a bunch of different things, gender norms, all that stuff. Um, but there's this nabantla state, this alternative state, right, um, that you feel comfortable in. And the thing about Napala is it's this space where you heal, you rejuvenate, you create. So in in college, that just really hit me when I kind of saw that word, Uh, you know, especially for me, you know, I'm half Mexican, half white, you know, so struggling with my own identity and like, where do I fit in? You know, I, I was raised with Mexican family. I felt culturally, you know, Chicano, right? But I also recognize, like, I have I have a white parent, like, and you know, so am I enough? You know, kind of a thing. Do I qualify? You know, um, you know, how do I? Am I able to uh, claim my own community and stuff? Right. Um, so, so dealing with all of that, I think that word really made me. Like, it gave me some roots and made me feel, I think, a little more comfortable in that. Um, and then later on, you're just like, no, oh, fuck it, man. I'm, Chicano, you can't take it away from me, you know? Right. And so,
1: right.
2: you know, I'm going to embrace it. It's a culture I love and embrace. Um, but, yeah, so it, it then when we were coming to the name of the space, that came back, you know, this kind of alternative space, the space for the other, and you know, and especially in Seattle, there really isn't this kind of Latinx art space. You know, there are some organizations that deal with, like, social services, um, immigration stuff, Um, but there really was you know, there's a, a, you know, medical stuff, but there really wasn't anything that dealt with kind of Latinx arts. So, um, you know, I want to create this, you know, space in Seattle for our gente. And uh, yeah, so that that word was I was like, you know what, perfect.
0: So speaking of Nepantla and its Aztec origins of, you know, the the language of Nahuatl, um, tell us a little bit about your codices.
2: Okay, yeah. So. And the
0: visual language you use there.
2: Mm-hmm. There's a couple of the um, series that I've done that really kind of deal with kind of the Mexica uh, um, or just in, in the especially. Um, and so the co- the codices started with this just idea of like if we were still creating them like our ancestors, you know, what would they look like today? Like what would we be drawing, right? Mm-hmm. So what I was trying to do was capture community in that style. So you have the paletero, you have a girl taking a selfie, you have a breakdancer, you have a mariachi, right? So they were, I tried to capture our community in the style of our ancestors. And actually tomorrow I'm releasing, and actually that's what I was emailing right before me, um, a new art piece that um, Amplifier, if you've heard of Amplifier, they're the ones that do all the uh, like propaganda posters, like Obey's done a lot of work for them and stuff. Um, But what they do is they give their art to like schools and things like that for free. Um, So they just commissioned me to do a piece about the whole COVID-19. And so I did a codices one with them. Um, It's like a male and female, like kind of just standing, you know, facing each other, but they each have a laptop in their hand. So um, I did an English and Spanish version, but it's staying connected is self-care. And so it's all about like staying connected to your family and friends and things like that. Um, so there's English and Spanish version of it, but that um, I'll release tomorrow.
0: Will there be a link on your website for that? Or are you going to share that on social media so people can check it out?
2: Yeah. So um, on Instagram and Facebook. I'll post it. Um, I'm hoping to, you know, get prints of it made soon, but um, right now, just with everything happening, it's hard to get prints made. Um, right but it definitely will be online and, you know, and then anyways, because it's an amplifier commissioned art piece, um, they, I'm sure that they're gonna be probably giving those to schools and things like that. uh, So folks might be able to get some of those for free.
1: Nice. Yeah. Now talking about amplifier and some of the things you're doing, um, what, I guess, what advice would you give uh, cultural artists when it comes to like cultural collaborations say if there's somebody that, that is opposed to somebody say they're approached and and they say you know I know I'm not Latinx but I want to collaborate with you on a piece and what what advice would you give on that
2: um well I think it, it, it's kind of a case-by-case thing um you know are they culture vultures just trying to rip off what you're doing replicate it and just kind of and using you as like um a token or is this you know a meaningful way to share your culture with maybe other folks um you know so yeah I, I there's you consider you know and i think case by case basis um i've been fortunate that i really haven't had to deal with people you know kind of trying to use me in the token way um other than i think maybe I I serve on a lot of like arts boards and things like that now. Um, And majority like white, they're like city arts boards. Right. And I'm kind of, you know, the token Latinx person on the board. And in in a situation like that, I think, yeah, I am being tokenized, you know, because, you know, there should be more than just me on that board. But on the other hand, that's a, There needs to be someone of color you know latinx on that board to ensure that when those conversations are happening about funding arts and things like that that are someone speaking up for the community and um so there's been you know a lot of examples, you know already i think like within a year or two that i've been on some of these boards where i've had to comment there you know they're you know approving grants you know, and there'll be out of a hundred, maybe two people that apply that, you know, maybe doing the De Los Huertos Festival or something, you know, that had to do with Latinx art. Um, And they might be kind of like, oh, we'll give them, you know, partial funding, you know, but not full, and I was like, look, there's a hundred and something people here and there's only two, you know, people that are kind of representing Latinx community. I think they need full funding. Right. And then the conversation, it ends up like they'll get the full funding in. So, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be me on those boards, but we definitely need representation in those places.
0: Yeah, there's a certain place in my heart for people that go out of their way to show that representation in, in places of power. And there's not enough people, but I do know people in my community that share the same passion as you. You know, you have to, you have to give us a voice. Some, somebody has to step up and give us a voice. And thank you for doing that. It's, yeah. It's so special. So I want to talk about a specific art piece that you're working on right now. The AFC yeah. piece. I'm looking at your artwork behind you. And for those <laughs> guests that cannot see these pictures, you have, um, I think it's your son on the left, maybe, uh, in the Seahawks jersey. Oh, you, oh, just on you my have wall. media Cruz right behind you, too. And you've yeah. got a, a girl to the right. Is that your daughter?
2: Yeah. So I got, yeah, the, 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 my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my son? Uh-huh. And then Emilia.
0: That's yeah. awesome. I, I, I'd love to talk about those, but I want to talk about the AOC piece that you're talking about, Emilia Ocasio Cortez. What's that all yeah. about? Yeah.
2: Well, so there, a series I started years ago, I mean, one of the first prize series I did was um, this Norman Rockwell and Post Racial America. <clears throat> so the idea behind that is kind of taking these Rockwell, Norman Rockwell images that I love, um, and, you know, back up, if you don't know who Norman Rockwell is, he, he was an illustrator um, early, you know, part of the century, you know, he was really popular from the 1920s to the 50s, um, and he did a lot of the Saturday evening post covers, so his work was very, it was like kind of the American, like, uh, you know, known as Americana, like it was this slice of American life very humorous very witty so you would have you know these kind of funny you know images that kind of had to deal with something in the magazine um and so i just grew up loving rockwell's art and um so he is a kind of used by the kind of right wing as this america you know kind of make america great again this America that they want back and I, I think it's kind of they use him as like that's the America but the thing is Rockwell would have told him like like this is sugar-coated like this ain't real like I'm not and Rockwell was actually pretty progressive especially later in life he, he uh, married a really progressive woman that I think got him progressive but um, like in the 60s he was doing some I think amazing we could stop working for the magazine and was not do the covers some of his personal work uh, he was dealing with the civil rights movement so he has some really powerful um, pieces dealing with the civil rights movement that you know they don't talk about but anyways i wanted to do this kind of reinterpretation of his work and kind of you know i i would say that you know where his is seen as americana mine this series is mexican americana and um, so just taking those images flipping them in this contemporary lens with people of color as the subject, and what do they look like today? So the first one I did was called Chicana in College. And the original painting was kind of, um, it was about a US soldier coming back after World War II and um, using going to college under the GI Bill. And so it was all kind of about the GI Bill. So the image is the uh, soldier in the, Uh, kind of in college, he's on his, you know, windowsill reading a book, and he's got his war memorabilia on the wall, he's got, like, a Nazi helmet and his medals and things like that, and so I thought, well, what would be a Chicana's uh, memorabilia, so she has her, like, Chicano studies book, she's got her protest posters on her wall and things like that. Um, The second one I did was, the original was this um, father and son, the father's this, like, weathered, White farm worker and the son's like dressed really nice, ready to go off to college. He's got it in the so they're like kind of waiting for the bus. And um, he's got his like, you know, luggage and ready to go, and he looks excited. Dad looks tired and worn down by life, kind of thing. And so I just, well, what's that today? And that's the farm worker, the migrant father and the dreamer son, you know, getting the opportunity to go to college. Um, uh, and then the third, the AOC one that you're talking about. And so the original Norman Rockwell painting is this little girl looking at a magazine. And the cover of the magazine is this, you know, fashion model. And so the way she's holding the magazine, it looks like the model is her head, you know. You see people do that with album covers and stuff. Um, so I thought, well, you know, well, what's this who who is kind of this next generation of Latinx heroes and people that we're looking up to? Um, and, and one of them is, you know, for me especially, um, is AOC. I think she's outspoken. She's defending community. Um, she's not backing down. Um, and she's this new generation Latinx heroes. And so she's on the cover and the little girl's holding the magazine. And it looks like it's her head.
1: Hmm. So yeah, and actually after, after this meeting, I'm going to go
2: work on the painting a little more. I have it at the gallery and, um, Yeah, so it's almost done. I just got to kind of fix up a sarape blanket that she's sitting on and um, kind of fill in the background. I mean, it's going to be white, but I still have to kind of paint it white and things like that. So it's probably about 90% done. That's beautiful. That's beautiful.
1: I love that. Yeah. I
0: have to say that Miguel and I have had this conversation before that Norman Rockwell, to me, was one of my favorites growing up from the moment I discovered him. And throughout still, I have maybe three or four books in my book collection of his, and I still obsess and I still think back to how Americana just seems so intangible for a Latino boy. You know, you wanted to yeah. sit at that Thanksgiving table and no Thanksgiving table ever summed yeah. up what, what was portrayed in that, right? And so Norma was was able to capture that, but I felt like I could never be there being a Mexican-American, you know, until... I saw your paintings and then I realized, oh damn, I've been living it all along. I am the new Americana, you know, this is 21st century Americana. So thank you again, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, and that's part of, like you said, being, you know, bicultural, being a Mexican and American, we'll never have that, that Norman Rockwell-esque image of our life. We don't have that, you know, and it's not because we can't, it's not because we don't deserve it or we're not entitled. But it's a matter of that's not what we are. We're of two cultures, like you mentioned. You yeah. know, we are a Mexican culture, and we are an American culture. We have, you know, we celebrate Christmas and Los Día de los Reyes. You know. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and, and, and you know, in one of his famous paintings, you know, I'm sure I'll get to it someday, but you know, the the Thanksgiving dinner one. You
1: know, and hey, you know, with us, it it, it would be tamales and you know. Rosca de las
2: Reyes and who found the baby. all so, the
0: people uh, you've painted before. It'd be great to see all the people you've painted before sitting at that table. So your son still wearing a Seahawks jersey. <laughs> Cruz wearing her a- painterly apron. You know, and yeah. everybody you've referenced sitting at that yeah. table.
2: As yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get to that one. It just
1: seems like there's so many people in that painting. big family. <laughs> <laughs> well, when it comes to culture, and I'm glad that we're talking about this, but when it comes to culture, how, when, when you were a kid, we're think let's go back a little bit. You know, when you were said you were growing up, you, you had uh, a, like a Chicano lifestyle. How does that, how does that culture Evolved as you've grown up now that you're an adult and you think about how you know your children are being raised and growing up You know, tell us a little bit about about the young Jake Yeah,
2: well, I, I think a lot of <clears throat> uh, I think uh, The the kind of Chicano power in me I think is rooted in the kind of separation from family um, We moved to Seattle from Hemet, which is out by Riverside, <clears throat> when I was five, I believe. So I went from having this large extended family and having, you know, the abuelos, the huizabuelos, like, around all the time, you know, tias and tias, and just, and I was, like, first grandchild, so I was also kind of, like, the golden child, and just, like, everyone, Jake's here, <laughs> you know, and, um, and then just being ripped from that, and moving to Seattle where there was no cultura, that, you know, and especially you know, so there was nowhere like there a some pan dulce out here. It was hard to get corn tortillas out here, you know. So this is the '80s, right? Um, so that kind of separation from family, I think, took a big toll on me, and I think a lot of it was. The um, maybe overcompensating for kind of that loss of culture and trying to be, be uber Chicano. And um, I, I had a friend that described it really well. He said, in Seattle, if you said like Chicano power, like like Chicano would get excited because there are only a couple of us, and we'd be like, "Yeah, you're right, Chicano power." <laughs> and if you're in L.A. and you go Chicano power, the people are like, "No shit," and <laughs> you know. Uh, so, you know, it was, you know, it's just a different dynamic, and, um, you know, my kids, I, what I've tried to do is not be, well, because I've seen this, like kind of backfire on a lot of kind of activists, and they try to really hardcore get their kids into the movement, and, they, and the kids rebel from it, and they become conservative, they join the military, and all this stuff, and Um, So, I just, it was like these core kind of beliefs of, like, compassion, caring about people, Um, and it was kind of like, well, you know, if if they have that at their core, compassion for other people, um, work hard, that type of stuff, they were going to be okay, and and my kids are older now, so they're uh, 22 or 23 and 21, (laughs) and... uh, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, my son was, you know, during last election. He was like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to vote for Bernie Sanders. Uh, he just has the same values as me. And it was like a tear. <laughs> 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 you know,
1: and inside you're like, yes, mijo, yes, mijo.
2: <laughs> because he never no really, you know, talked about politics. You know, he's a very... Very linear math science, kind of he didn't majored in engineering. So he really never talked about anything. So I was like, I have no clue what his political leanings are. And then yeah, so I was like, Oh, thank God. You know, my daughter, on the other hand, she's mini me. She's emotional and artistic and you know, super liberal and you know, cares about everything. You know, I'm like oh okay, yeah, I didn't have to worry about you, but you're good.
1: Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of like the time when I mean, like you said, we really didn't about politics in my house, either. You know, I have two older kids that I well, actually, three kids and 25, 23, and, and 13. We'll talk about that on another podcast. <laughs> but yeah, the younger one, I, you know, she came home from college uh, from Colorado and she had a, a Feel the Burn sticker on her laptop. <laughs> and I was like, I'm feeling you. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: You know, and for me, I think I was lucky that I had my parents were kind of former hippies they were already kind of peace and love and, um, you know, kind of instilled that in me at a young age. And, um, you know, my dad went to a little conservative phase in the eighties, but kind of refound, you know, his way. And he's like a birdie guy now, but, um, but my mom has always been, you know, I remember even like, when my dad was kind of a little conservative and, uh, I was kind of green with him on something. And my mom just like, and I think I was probably, like, sixth grade. I mean, I, was little, I didn't understand. It. My my uh, political <clears throat> commentary and references all came from, like, Saturday Night Live. Um, but uh, I remember just saying, like, how are you going to be Mexican? How are you going to be a minority and support that shit? And I was just like, oh, you're
0: right. <laughs> so. Well, it's hard because you know, a lot of us come from Catholicism and whatnot. So we do have some conservative values, but it's, it's just yeah. the party pushes us aside or – marginalizes us and what are what the choice do we have you know we we try to find people that actually show some empathy towards us and care about us and our, and our values so yeah. that's that's what happens um to change the the topic from politics i have a question that's totally unrelated to your art but so who's an artist that we probably don't know that we should be following on social media say instagram
2: well i, I think you already know her but amelia cruz mm-hmm. um She's an amazing amazing artist um and she's young, so i think she's like twenty four ish but um
0: that's how young she is?
2: i think so i, huh. I, I'm not, I don't i don't know she was twenty four um
0: I'm sure she's like thank you jake
2: <laughs> uh, but no she's young she you know and uh yeah it, it kind of pisses you off like eh, screw you for being so goddamn good so young <laughs> um Super talented. Like, yeah, so I love her work, and now you know she was on that um, uh, hempify, and like her art was all you know in that. Uh, and I was like, "Damn, you blew up!" You know, we're actually going to be yeah. bringing her and some other artists to Seattle. The idea was it was going to be LA meets Seattle, so we're going to have six LA artists, six Seattle artists in this exhibition in August. Hopefully, we'll be open, and we don't have to you know push it back. But um, but Amelia is one of them. Ray Vargas. Uh, one of our LA artists, uh, Rick Ortega, Barbara, um, Rivera, uh, caliarte It's a husband and wife screen printing team that are absolutely amazing. We gave them a show last year, a solo show. They, man, they sold like a piece, like one or two every day in the exhibition for like the whole month. They, they were super popular.
1: Wow. So they'll be coming
2: back. But just some of the like Seattle artists, that I, I think y'all have on your radar. Um, he, you know, Angelina Villalobos is, you know, one of my favorite Seattle artists, and she's a uh, muralist, illustrator, graph person, she's done it all, kind of, but she's amazing, Um, there's Lupe Carlos III, who's a photographer, does amazing photography, uh, Piochi Silvano, Um, God, there's so many, I'm like, not my co-man, like, oh, you're all gonna be oh, that's a that's, a
0: that's a big list to chew on. Thank you so much for yeah. sharing with
2: But yeah, there's a lot of Seattle artists that, um, and yeah, we were, and the thing that kind of sucks is we were gonna have a big exhibition, it was uh, Latinx in the Northwest exhibition in April. It <clears throat> coincided because the Knox, National Association of Chicano Chicago Studies, was gonna be held in Seattle. So we were kind of, going to be like the official after party and this huge exhibition and show the country, you know, the all over the country, like put Seattle on the map, don't sleep on the Seattle art scene and all of a sudden the pandemic and that was canceled and everything. And just, uh, but yeah, it was, it was going to be great to show the rest of the country that, you know, there's some amazing talented Latinx artists here in Seattle, hidden up in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Well I,
0: I yeah. hope it's just postponed and not uh yeah. like not put yeah. to a halt. I really hope to see this because I'm gonna, you know, be caravanning up there with people as soon as it does. Yeah, I love
1: the experience. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to have you up here. Yeah. Talking about social media, um, how do you feel that may have changed the art game? Has it changed it for the better, the worse? What do you what do you think?
2: I think it's changed it for the better. Um and actually I my graduate thesis in Chicano studies was the art of rebellion, social justice and Chicano visual arts. And so what I did is I looked how uh, like revolutionary art, movement art has been used to mobilize communities kind of throughout changes as well, where Mexicanism and, and then you know, uh, the social realist murals, um, it kind of moves, it shifts art as a commodity to art for the people, um, and so this idea of art just making money, you know, to hoard it, right, I can collect it and I'm gonna make money, I'm gonna put it in my private collection, to this idea of everyone's gonna be able to see this art piece, everyone's gonna be able to enjoy it, everyone's gonna be able to get this message, right? <clears throat> When you get to like civil rights movement era, the art then becomes like screen printing becomes in vogue, right? It becomes you know more accessible than something on a wall, right? You can make thousands of them, print them out, get them in, get them out at your protest, mail them to people. And then that same idea of you know spreading this message to a wide audience becomes even bigger with social media, right? So now we've moved from the wall to, you know, what can be handed to someone, to what, you know, something that's accessible to anyone around the world. So, and, and it's really cool to also see where, the way in Los Angeles, murals get a, um, there's usually budgets for murals, right? Even like restoration budgets that, you know, so they think of murals as long-term, like this is gonna be up, you know, almost forever, kind of a idea where like say Mexico City, murals are, seen as a very temporary thing, like they're whitewashed within a month. The idea in Mexico City is that they want to, they they put their social media handles and they get it on their social, you know, Instagrams and all the stuff, and the mural survives virtually, right? So they're more concerned with that mural that they painted getting out there through social media than they really are people coming to see that mural in person. Um, so I think that just shows that kind of shift of off the wall into kind of your own phone.
0: Such a great philosophy. I love ephemeral art and, and just giving people the opportunity to experience something for a moment. And it's just that uh, dwindling moment that you have to feel it, touch it, see it for yourself. And social media has provided a new avenue because it now lasts a little longer, but still knowing that it's no longer present in the physical realm, then that that's something special. Um, so, uh, here's your chance for a plug. What would you like to say hi to? Who would you like to say hi to?
2: What <laughs> kind of websites do you want to refer? Social media, yeah. whatever. Go for it. Um, well, one, I, I do definitely want to give a shout out to my girlfriend, Judy Avitia Gonzalez, who, um, you know, without her, Nafantla wouldn't be successful. Um, you know, she is the co-director and, uh she's the person who, you know, I order all the cool stuff and just put it out on the shelves and she's the person that comes in, you know, rolls her eyes at me and fixes it, makes it look nice and pretty. Um, and she does, you know, a lot of work behind the scenes, you know, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of the face and I get a lot of the acknowledgement, but she does a lot of work. So I always love to, anytime we're talking about Nafantla, make sure that she's recognized. And just anyone that wants to come visit us at Nafantla, uh, once we reopen, you know, Please come and, you know, join us in our space. It's a community space. It's a free space. And, you know, you can visit our website, thefantmaculturalarts.com. And currently we have a virtual exhibition with actually a lot of the L.A. folks that I talked about. So Emilia, Ray, Barbara, vera all those people are on there, as well as Seattle artists and some artists from other places around the country. There's coloring pages. So, like, the Aztec Codices ones you like. There's coloring pages. You can download them and color them for free. Um, and then you, you know, there's our gift shop on there as well. And you can you know buy art and stuff too. So we just hope that you join us, whether it's virtually or in person.
0: Thanks again for being on the show. Uh, we appreciate you being our inaugural guest. Um, can't wait to see more of your work, and and we're very excited to share you with the rest of the virtual you know extended community out there. Thank you. All
1: right. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Have a good night. See you, man. All
1: right. Take care. Okay, thank you. It's brilliant work. I love it.
0: Thanks again, Jake Brendus. Thanks again, podcast community, for listening in. I'm Saul Martinez with your co-host, Miguel Gonzalez. Join us next week for Pavel Acevedo. He is a Mexican artist out of Oaxaca, now residing out of L.A., who is an amazing woodcutter, a very young guy extraordinarily talented with wood cutting tools and lino cuts until next time please visit us on com. please visit us on instagram at con.safos.podcast check out com as well it's uh, your your fellow co-host here that's his personal site yeah stay tuned for more
1: yeah thanks for joining us uh, on our inaugural podcast there's more to come more artists more cultura and um some really fun things we have planned, so stick around.
0: Nos vemos. Bueno.